All right, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. This is Location Weekly. See, I got it right this time. Episode number 445. And we're recording live on December the 23rd. We are now past the winter solstice and officially into the winter season now. And yet it's a balmy nine degrees in Toronto. So Celsius. It's warm. It's like 50 something. It's crazy. How I are mean, you? 50 something warm sure yeah yeah well, Atlanta, warm that's still chilly to us um but i'm good yeah you know what it's been raining here the past few days which is not really ideal christmas weather for for me um it either needs to be snow or you know just good weather all around but um i'm good you know everything here has kind of come to a, a quick halt in terms of business and uh the hustle has moved to the grocery stores and the uh toy shopping so such is life <laughs> there you go excellent yeah. well yeah um so thank you again everyone for kind of listening and watching we hope you like the new format uh i want to just encourage you before we get into the show today to kind of you know send us some feedback uh give us some likes and some stars or some whatever it is in whatever platform you're consuming uh this and um yeah if you have story ideas course uh, reach out to us um, so we're a little bit different format uh, for the show uh, this week um, so instead of doing kind of three industry news stories three member news stories we're still going to do three member news stories but for the first part um, for those of you uh, especially in the US um, who may be uh, consuming the New York Times uh, they have a series out right now about uh, the uh, let's call it the benefits or the uh, I don't know the um, the downside potentially of uh, all the location tracking that goes on our whole industry um, and so they have a very interesting uh, piece out in the marketplace right now it's called one nation tracked um, and uh, both you and I uh, were interviewed uh, some months ago now as this was being prepared uh, believe I was one of the very first to uh, to talk to these guys kind of give them the initial sort of background uh, of uh, what our industry is all about and um, so that's what we're going to kick off with today is kind of now that this piece is out in the marketplace uh, we'll have kind of a bit of a just a back and forth discussion about it I'll let Aubriana sort of lead that and kick that off um, on uh, her sense of it uh, and then we'll kind of go from there yeah, so um, definitely if you are in or around the MarTech, AdTech location industry whatsoever, this was, um, you know, this is a big deal, for, I think, for all of us that are that are parties to this industry. And so, um, you know, overall, I think that they did a great job of stating, stating a lot of facts um, and, and covering all the bases. I think that they did a, a nice job of putting things together and sort of breaking it down so that um, you know everyday Americans could really understand um, what's going on and and um, you know I guess the potential of things that could happen. With that being said, though, I think that there was a lot of probably scare tactics um, that were sort of used within the article um, to just bring fear to every everyday people who use their phone for things like taking an Uber or, you know, checking the weather or ordering groceries or whatever it may be and things that provide all of us a lot of convenience. So, um, 
I mean, that's very high level. I have some definitely like different points about that the article made that I think would be great to clarify and kind of talk through. Um, but I don't want to run the conversation. So why don't you kind of give me your overview real quick and then we can kind of get down to maybe a few different topics within that. Yeah, I mean, I think at a, at a super high level, I think um, the article is very well done. It's very well written. Uh, it's very well researched. Um, you know, I, I think that um, the it's an important issue. It's an important discussion to have. Um, I think uh, at all levels of government and you know with with the consumer public as well. So you know, I applaud that effort. Um, you know, as the location-based marketing association, as uh, you know, as the global trade association, you know, this is something that you know we're highly concerned about as well. Uh, obviously, we're you know have been involved uh, over the years in the development of uh, various legislation and um, you know consulted anyways uh, you know by the FCC, European Commission, you know Canadian Privacy Commission, CRTC, all all the different bodies you know uh, that uh, you know work in this area. Um, and I think you know part of maybe one of the goals here is to um, you know, push that agenda from a legislation uh, perspective a bit further. Um, and yet I think um, as I read through the different pieces of this and they're kind of releasing a section each day, so it's not fully out yet. Um, but, um, you know, as I kind of go through this, I guess my overall conclusion is, is that uh, good job of shining a light on it. Uh, but it's really not, uh, at least for those in the industry, it's not, that new it's not like a, i'm not learning anything i didn't know number one um but i think for the general public i think there's a lot here and i think that we can um often take something like this and put too much uh you know sort of a, of a weight uh against kind of the uh all the negative and all the bad that can be done uh with this data and, and instead you know, we also need to equally show, uh, focus, um, you know, on all the benefits that come from location data. And so, you know, like we can get into it a bit further here, but uh, that's kind of my overall high level view of it. Yep, I agree. So I would say that, you know, the, the thing that I would take away at the end of the day is that, yes, there needs to be laws and legislation that's in place and something that probably works. Um, from a perspective of not crippling an industry that does a lot of good things that um, you know makes marketing and advertising tangible and contextual for people every day that makes people's lives more convenient um, and that allows us to not spend so much time trying to find what it is that we're looking for um, but I also would hope that those laws are put into place by people who understand how technology works how it is um, most of the time applied and focus on, um, you know, not crippling any industry initiatives that are taking place as well. So, um, you know, one thing that I thought was a challenge in, in the, the story for me is that they're, they never have defined what an audience is, right? So they don't define it as a group. They are pulling out individuals and telling stories, which is really scary. And that's sort of the scare tactic yeah. that I, um, resonated with me as I'm sure it did with everybody who read read the story. Um, so if you pull out one string of data amongst billions and 
you know, billions of data points, then you can get really creepy just like you could if you were to pull out one medical record out of a lot of, uh, you know, medical records as a whole. Um, so I think that whenever you think of, of these type of these types of data points that are identifying people rather than identifying a group of devices that have similar behaviors because that's what they're interested in, that's when it becomes problematic. And traditionally, as far as I know, um, and I know a lot of the companies that were listed there as well, um, both personally and professionally, and I think that most of them, I would say, you know, operate with integrity and they are doing the right thing. Um, and so with that being said, I think that the way that they use the data and analyze the data for the story is not something that's being done currently. Yeah, it's certainly not being done, you know, on a, at a, on a commercial scale, right? Like none of these companies that I'm aware of and, you know, like you, I mean, we work with all of these companies, uh, you know, in some capacity <clears throat> and we all, you know, we both know, you know, uh, the leadership, you know, quite well at personal levels uh, of these companies as well. And, and I think absolutely, I'm completely in agreement. Like I think the integrity is there. Um, you know, while it's maybe self-policed in a lot of ways, and they do say that in this article, mm -hmm. um, that, you know, perhaps there's a need for more uh, regulation. Um, I think the reality is, is that um, the examples that they, that they give here um, are exactly as you said. I think it, it's kind of look, looking, look at what we can do with one piece of data on one phone and track it, you know, back and, and the scariness that, uh, you, you know, the, of the picture that that paints. And, you know, it reminds me way, way, way back when, like, you know, I'm talking like 10 years ago now when Foursquare and Gowalla uh, started, you know, there was uh, somebody had taken, you know, the data and created a website called pleaserobme.com or something um, where you could track, you know, where people lived uh, to their house and, um, you know, basically, you know, saying, hey, you know, here, here's, here's where I work, here's where I live, you know, come, come rob me now that my data is out there. And essentially, here we are 10 years later, and the story that they're telling here with this data on, on like this one, like little piece of data that they're pulling out uh, is the same scare story. Um, it hasn't changed. What has changed is, is there's a lot more regulation than there was back then. There's a lot more understanding of, what you should and shouldn't do with this data. There's a lot more uh, understanding by the consumer public too. So I think that, um, you know, to go out and, and, and kind of try to scare people with this um, and not realize that the shift in that 10 year period, uh, you know, on the other side of the consumer adoption or embracing of location data um, you know, is, is a big part of it too. Like from our own research, you know, I can tell you 10 years ago, it was like 30, 40% of consumer public was using location, you know, on any kind of regular basis on a week to week, uh, perspective. And now we're at like 90 plus percent. Um, that's because there's a lot of utility. That's because there's a lot of value that they see that these same companies are demonstrating to them. And, Yes, it comes down to good articulation of the value proposition or the exchange uh, for that. But people are not going to give up their Google Maps and their Uber services and their weather apps and all of that just because of, you know, the data could be used um, in some, you know, you know, unsavory way. Um, 
you know, so, so I'm with you. I, I think, I think to focus it on that one little kind of sort of, here's what you could do. Who's doing that? Nobody's doing that that I know. Well, you know, who is doing that is the um, anonymous source who provided all of the data yeah. to the times so that they could do this, which was really interesting to me that they even stated that in the article. I mean, I appreciate the transparency, but it specifically said that the data was provided by an anonymous source that was not authorized to share it. I mean, it's like, okay, well, in, in one sense to me, it's like, well, here's the pot calling the kettle black because you are, I get that you're using it for resource and you're kind of being a whistleblower on the industry, but at the same time, you're doing everything that most people in the industry are not doing with this data, right? <laughs> or let's hope that none of them are doing. So yeah. all of these examples came from, you know, the, the actual research that the Times did with the, the data that they were not authorized to use. Um, or didn't buy and didn't purchase, it was shared with them. So that's one thing I think to take into consideration. And then the other, on the other hand, it's saying, um, you know, again, like, why, why are we using this data and how are we using this data? And so for, you know, I would say most of, again, most of the, the companies that here are referenced and most of the applications, actually all of the applications that I know of have been, have been leveraging things for, um, marketing and advertising purposes. So it's pretty straightforward. Like I want to show car ads to people who have been to a car dealership um, or to, you know, a group of people who have been to a car dealership. And generally those types of audiences are going to be inclusive of more than 10,000 devices. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking of scale, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a thief and this is his address and here he is. So, um, so but here's the thing, right? Like, I, I think that, um, you know, when you look e e like even like a media outlet, like the New York times, right. Are you trying to like, are, are they like, I, I highly doubt, right. I don't know this, but I hardly, highly doubt that, you know, they, you know, they don't ask for you to share your location when you download their, app. uh, that they're not, you know, delivering ads based on, you know, people's location and, and history and search patterns and all these other things as, as a media organization. Right. I mean, it's just not it's it's the world that we live in today is is you know as, as media companies as marketing organizations you know this is central to uh the way you do business right um and to, to for them to call it out um when you know there's probably a high degree of correlation that they themselves are using this um you know is, is just i don't know and here's the thing too, that I feel this is what happens a lot of times when you have this type of um, a scare tactic that comes out and then let's say that there are, there is backlash or there are repercussions or it comes into place that makes this uh, type of data unusable or these types of tactics, um, you know, that they're not legal anymore then who you're actually hurting, you're not hurting the big guys, you're not hurting the Googles and the Facebooks of the world because they're still going to be generating that level of data. Um, but you know who you hurt is the small business owners because you know what, the small business owners now have the ability to actually do digital advertising and, and use different methods that are available to them because they can, they can really hone in on an audience or a group that's in their nearby area. Uh, so if I'm, you know, the local plumber or just the mom and pop supermarket down the street, I can show advertising that's localized to my area because of this type of technology that's available to me. Whereas when you do away with this, then you're, you're limiting that as well. 
So, um, you know, I think that it's, it's uh, very important to weigh the benefits and the risks. Something that I noticed yesterday, actually, um, you know, I was reading something that Samaritan app had shared and we've talked about Samaritan on here before mm. and how they're using location and Bluetooth and, and beacon signals, um, to help with the homeless population. And, you know, I just had to share that because I'm like, you know, in light of all of this, uh, negative energy and negative conversation that's going around, uh, location and the data that's there, it's very important to remember that there's so many applications and use cases of how this data can be applied for the good. So I think that that is, you know, from city planning, from um, people movement, from understanding what could happen for, you know, predicting how cities would operate and what happens when there's stressful situations or inclement weather or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, this goes way beyond marketing and advertising. And I think 100%, that percent right? I mean, the optimal, like, you know, it, it's, what really gets me is like, so, so, they, so they say like in the, in the latest piece that's out, right? Like they end the thing saying Americans need to know their information is being gathered and whether it's being used to manipulate them. They deserve the freedom to choose a life without surveillance. That's, that's how they end like the, the latest section. And I'm like, we're not talking about surveillance here. We are talking about how this data can be used to be more relevant, more personal, more beneficial, to the, to the consumer public, to, to the American public. And at the same time, as you just pointed out, this is so much about more than marketing, right? This is like, there's like, we are moving as an organization here at the LBMA, you and I have had this conversation and many others within our organization about how this is not, you know, like it's, it's moving way beyond marketing now. It's moving into how do we use this stuff, you know, to, to solve homelessness? How do we use this stuff to improve traffic flow you know when our cities are congested with cars right you know google you know and ways right now are linking up with cities and open data policies all around real-time location data of understanding where people are and where these cars are to optimize flow and move cars faster and more efficiently you move to a you know a self-driving world you have to have location data in order to make these cars in a machine-to-machine -machine world talk to each other and not crash into each other or kill people or all these other things. So are we saying that, okay, let's throw all this location stuff out. Um, so, you know, and go back, uh, you know, you know, 10 generations to, you know, horse buggies and uh, where the New York times paper edition is relevant again. <laughs> Come on. Oh goodness. Well, you know, maybe, maybe I, yes. That's their last gasp at like how they're going to generate ad <laughs> revenue. I don't know. You know, we're going to sell paper newspapers on the street corner again. Yeah, so I, I agree with that. Um, and I also think that something that they pointed out was the ability that everything can be hacked. Um, and so should this data be thrown out? Here's, I, I think there's two uh, perspectives here, right? So one is, um, I think that you should have the ability to sunset your data and pick and choose at some point. So maybe there should be a centralized place where you yeah. can go in and say, Hey, I want to sunset this time period or this particular data point because it's something that's personal and I want to be able to take it out. I totally agree that there should be an easy way to do that. And I think that that should be feasible, but to say that because it can be hacked, everything should be thrown out. Let's talk about um, medical, you know, studies that have been done. These are things that compromise people's, you know, uh, very personal information about people. Um, you know, when you talk about things like 
gender changes and different surgeries and medication and disease. These are things that, that are very, very private and personal. That doesn't mean they should just be done away with because guess what? They provide data, they provide history, they give you insight, and they also allow us to evolve and become uh, better you know, in that industry. And I think that that obviously is very um, you know, apples to apples when it comes to anything that you're learning and studying. There is a science behind location. There is a science behind medicine. And those things you need to have that, that data on. And as it goes towards the manipulation of people, listen, I mean, maybe this is uh, short-sighted here, but I think that if you are being manipulated because you see an ad that is targeted towards your political stance and you don't do your due diligence of checking and fact-checking and understanding and asking questions, then that's a you issue. That's not a location data issue. I think that's a people issue. So you have to decide for yourself. And I'm not saying that people can't be tricked or persuaded. I think that you can. But if it's just from seeing one ad based on context, that's crazy. Something I had a very uh, real conversation two summer, not this past summer, the summer before, with um, politics side with Donald Trump's campaign manager, and something that he said that was their agenda and their, uh, you know, sort of methodology behind all the Facebook advertising and everything that they did is they they didn't try to manipulate or change people's opinion. They went after people who likely already had the same opinion as what they were trying to push and the agenda they were trying to push, and they just got them to go to the polls, okay? That's really what their method was, and clearly it worked. So with that in mind, you know, if you're thinking about that, I'm not saying that there's not some questionable tactics that maybe, you know, political arenas are using and 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 leveraging that's not that's besides the point but to say that you're being manipulated because your location data is available to me is very far-fetched yeah sorry yeah. no no I'm, I'm completely with you right and uh yeah i mean can this stuff be done can you know can people kind of you know take the time to match ids and tie it back to where you live and your credit card and this that and kind of figure out kind of the trail that you follow. Yes, it can be done <coughs> as they've shown uh, in this article. But none of these companies the, that are identified here in this article are doing that I, legitimately. Like I can't honestly sit here and say that, you know, this is the, the commercial practices of our industry. Um, and so, you know, I think, as you pointed out, I think the onus is on people. Like people, you know, we, we, we need to make an assumption that, you know, people are intelligent and smart and able to make their own decisions. Um, and that, you know, none of this stuff, however marketers choose to use it, at the end of the day, uh, marketing is, is about influence, but it's not necessarily about manipulation, right? Um, we're not trying to manipulate the population. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as they're talking about here. You know, they even go so far as to like kind of reference, you know, we've talked a lot on the show about kind of voice and, and all of that. They talk about kind of, you know, all the, uh, you know, the smart speakers and, and um, you know, kind of how that's, uh, you know, they're getting into, into our households now with smart speakers and smart watches and smart televisions and, you know, understanding what's going on in our homes. You know, we're, everybody's doing this. Who's not doing this? Right, like we, what, what marketing organization? The New York Times daily briefing is available on Alexa right now. Yeah, and I bet they know where you're coming from in real yeah, time so that on. they can 
give you some context because I don't want the news, you know, in Toronto when I wake up in the morning, I'd prefer to hear the news that's going on around me in Atlanta to start yeah. with, right? So anyways, um, that's our that's our take, I think, on this for now. Um, location data, yes, one nation, it's all being tracked. One planet, it's all being tracked. Absolutely, 100% agree with, with that statement. Um, there are many companies out there within our world, in, within our ecosystem, who are doing great things with this. Um, uh, you know, our, our, our belief at the LVMA remains that there is a, a ton of value in this for both the consumer and the, uh, the merchants that are uh, leveraging this. Um, and uh, I think that what you're about to see, as we've alluded to, is, is a world that actually gets a whole lot more efficient um, outside of the marketing uh, ecosystem by leveraging the same data as well. So um, anyhow, um, don't be scared by the, uh, by the New York Times. Uh, don't be scared, you're not that exciting. Neither are we. <laughs> All right, so that's our uh, industry news for this week. Uh, we'll, we'll shift over now to our, uh, our member news. Uh, we have three stories for you this week. Um, and uh, I'll kick this, uh, this section off. First is about a story about our good friends at Uber. Um, they have launched the second city now for what they call Uber Works. Uh, this is uh, happening in Miami. Um, so, you know, Uber's kind of trying all kinds of things, right? You know, there's Uber that we all know and love, uh, you know, as the, uh, the ride-hailing uh, uh, service, and then they kind of pushed into Uber Eats uh, to deliver you food from your favorite restaurants, and now they have Uber Works. And what Uber Works is, is a gig platform um, for, uh, you know, shift workers, essentially. And it's a little bit of a departure for them because, um, this is really kind of oriented and targeted towards, you know, a business environment as their clients primarily. Um, so you're talking about restaurant chains, you're talking about, um, you know, businesses that have uh, a lot of shift workers and um, essentially, you know, you can kind of register on here, you know, it's a sort of, it's a marketplace, it's buyers and sellers. I'm a restaurant, I have a shift available, you know, are you a worker that's able to work that shift and trying to match you know, these, uh, these people up together using sort of the same core technology platform uh, that underlies, you know, all of Uber. Um, it's interesting, um, obviously it's, you know, there's been a lot of gig platforms like this over the years that we've been involved with, you know, from, uh, you know, guys like Zarly and TaskRabbit and, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, what's that other one, Abriana? Um, Bungie or? That's it. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's a lot of these things, but you know, I think it's interesting because for me, what makes this a little bit different is that when you have Uber eats in your stable and you have all these restaurants, uh, that you're sort of delivering orders on behalf of, if you can kind of get those same restaurants on board in a different way, in an incremental revenue stream, you know, which is, okay, you need, you need, you know, shift workers now. Uh, to actually come in and cook those meals or come in and work in your restaurants or whatever the case might be. Um, I think that's an, like an interesting natural extension for them. Um, and so the businesses join onto the platform, they pay some like the fees, it's the businesses that pay the fees and then they kind of fill the vacancies. Um, 
you know, for, for those shifts. So they have this running in Chicago already. They've expand, expanded it to Miami now. Um, and I think it's a good, I think it's a good fit for Uber. Yeah. I mean, I think it makes sense for them. They are basically in the business of moving people and things around. So whether that be food or, you know, providing transportation, transportation to move people from point A to point B or move workers, uh, you know, employees, temporary employees, contract for hire from point A to point B um, and fulfilling needs. I think that it just, it goes back to really what their overarching mission and value proposition is. So it makes sense for me. Um, and Miami was interesting. I was surprised that Miami was the second city after Chicago, but um, I don't know, I guess there's a, there's a, a need there. Um, and I would assume that they probably also have a good amount of seasonal work um, that kind of ebbs and flows there as well. So making it a, a good place, but I'm sure they did their research. So I know that I remember, you know, covering the story when they were about to launch their first. And so obviously there is a need to, uh, you know, fill these types of positions. And, and I think that it does make sense to what their, again, what it goes back to what their foundation is. So I don't really have a ton to add. I mean, I think it's interesting and, and it works for them. So. I assume they'll be rolling out more cities in the future. Awesome. All right, so um, this is interesting story and um, you know, a lot of competitors are coming together to do some better and good maybe. Always here. Uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so Amazon, Apple and Google are all teaming up. Um, they are creating an open source working group um, to implement new unified protocol. So, you know, you have things like, um, let me mute this before I say this, uh, you know, you have, you know, Google Home and Alexa and, and um, you know, Apple's devices and smart devices as well. So all these different things that come into play and with voice being such a prominent feature and, and such uh, a quick, uh, a quick rising uh, feature and, and use case that we have here. Um, they have decided to use these, you know, to contribute to a working group to make all of these things um, kind of interoperable, right? So they're using contributions from smart home technologies that are market tested from these companies um, and the Zigbee Alliance and some others. Um, so they're looking at connected home over IP uh, projects and the goal is really just to grow compatibility for consumers. So let's say that you have one of each of these three devices being able to use them together and making sure they operate correctly um, for, and just kind of simplify it for the manufacturers and, and for us as consumers. So um, the main focus is on voice. And what was really interesting, I, this stat like really stood out to me. And so they said that the, um, for voice, it took half the time for 25% of the population in the US to own a voice activated device, um, half the time that it took for um, us to have broadband installed. So that is a crazy stat to me is like, wow, voice is just, um, you know, it has just escalated and, and accelerated so much faster, I think, than anybody thought possible. And that's why we see so many companies just really pouring in resources um, and investment and and everything into these into these voice um, voice not only devices and and uh, business plays but also obviously these uh, you know working groups to do something better for us and make our lives easier. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. all for this, right? I mean, I think that um, I, I would say 
we have a couple of Alexas in the house. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been kind of reluctant to kind of go and kind of put in a smart thermostat and, you know, things like that, like some of these other sort of home automation things, because, um, you know, like I, I really like the Google, you know, thermostat, but I have an Amazon Alexa and I have everything else in my house is Apple. Um, you know, and, and I, so I'm all for interoperability uh, and having these things talk to each other and work together. Um, I think the Zigbee Alliance is a great organization um, that uh, kind of works, you know, to kind of put these common standards together. There's other interesting companies who are part of that, like IKEA and Samsung Smart Things and Silicon Labs as well, and many others. Um, so, you know, if, if they can kind of really you know, come up with some common, in the same way that we have, you know, standardized Bluetooth and standardized, you know, other um, ways that we do communications, <coughs> excuse me, um, if we can have, um, you know, a smart home IP uh, piece, I think that that would be huge. So I'm all for it. Um, excited about it, actually. There you go. <laughs> all right. On the uh, mend. Yeah. All right. So on to our final story now. Uh, this is a good story. Um, Goodwill, uh, the uh, retailer that's, uh, you know, basically made a name off of uh, reselling um, used goods, used clothing and, and other items, uh, has uh, really started to embrace location data. So um, again, you know, like maybe this is a good way to end, end our show this week and kind of contrast to the New York Times story. Here you have Goodwill, um, you know, who has what, uh, 3,300 3, stores across the US and Canada. So it's a big footprint of stores. Um, they have been working with a company called Timo, uh, that's T-E-E-M-O, uh, which is a location data company uh, out there and uh, been using their data to kind of drive uh, location-specific mobile advertising uh, to drive uh, traffic to the stores, um, to just increase engagement on mobile devices overall, uh, and they're uh, kind of trying to lower their sort of uh, marketing spend on kind of a cost per visit basis. And so the numbers are really good. 11% lift in mobile traffic uh, overall. Uh, they said they've been able to reach 1.4 million devices uh, in and around, you know, their stores uh, and a noticeable decrease in, in um, CPV. Um, so, you know, I, I, I love stories like this because it's, it's real tangible data um, and showing the kind of power of, of, you know, what you can do with this advertising. Um, you know, when the New York Times sits there and talks about, you know, all the the downside and the scary piece of somebody taking the data and doing stupid things with it. Here's the good side of, you know, actually driving traffic to uh, an organization that, you know, is really focused on doing, doing good things, uh, you know, and, and, you know, in a time of, you know, sort of uh, environmental consciousness, you know, uh, reusing goods, um, you know, and all that, you know, all the more reason that we need to be, you know, spending time at, Places like Goodwill, Salvation Army, you know, all these types of um, uh, of store environments, um, and, and kind of repurposing, um, you know, items that that are already in our uh, existence uh, today, um, instead of manufacturing more. And um, you know, so so I think this is uh, 
the, you know, I, I don't have a lot more to say about it other than I think it's a great use of location data. Uh, I think uh, obviously it's, it was effective for them. Uh, that's why they're talking about it. And um, yeah, and also I want to kudos to Digitas, uh, the agency, the digital ad agency who actually did all the creative uh, pro bono uh, for this campaign as well, which was called Bring Good Home. Uh, was the public service announcement. So there you go. Yeah, I love I love me a good thrift store. So uh, feel free to use my location to uh, advertise good thrift stores in the area to me at any point in time, um, especially one who's you know helping people find employment and get back on their feet. Uh, I am all for that. So I do think this is a great story to end on, and um, you know it still goes back to the marketing and advertising piece, right? But doing something for good and driving people to a good cause and um, shopping for a good reason, right? Yeah, and you know whether yeah, so like you know whether you're Timo that's powering this or Macklemore is is driving traffic to uh, you know to these stores, whatever it is, um, you know, go to a thrift store, you know, buy something there, support you know these kinds of causes, especially this time of year. Um, you know, go make a donation when you see one of the Salvation Army people out on the streets, uh, you know, ringing the bell um, as we talked about you know, on the recent show, you know, now you can do that, you know, with uh, your uh, digital wallet as well. Um, so um, yeah, just get out there, enjoy the season. Um, that's our show for this week, folks. Um, you know, maybe a bit of a, a, a different approach uh, with the New York Times story, but uh, three good, three good member news stories this week as well. Um, for those of you who do celebrate, uh, we want to wish you a absolutely Merry Christmas and a great holiday season. Uh, also to our, uh, our Jewish friends out there, happy Hanukkah, uh, as well. Um, and whatever else you're celebrating, celebrate, just celebrate. Enjoy, <laughs> spend time with family, spend time with friends, uh, eat way too much, uh, and just be merry. Yes. Health and happiness to all of you guys and your loved ones. And we will see you in the new year. We'll be back, uh, the week of January 6th bringing you our annual predictions show for 2020. Um, but until then, have a great, a great time celebrating with your friends and family. Have a great week, everybody. Bye. Bye.